You're listening to the election special of Dig Deep. We're talking with Chuck Marone and Aaron Brown. I'm Heidi Holton. I don't want you guys to pick who's going to win, but I am very curious, like on a, let's let's talk Minnesota-wise, just some of the races that you're really watching that you think have been interesting. And uh, Aaron, let's start with you. Yeah, because we've got some interesting um, races in our area that I am following. You know, going into the year, of course, the state house is Democratic and the state uh, Senate is Republican. The Senate is pretty close, 35, 32. And of course, Democrats with Governor Walls uh, in office at least two more years would love to have a shot at governing with a majority. So the Senate has been kind of this high profile. The Democrats want to get the Senate. And um, they've got some good races in the suburbs where they have a real good chance, but they also have, you know, some challenges in greater Minnesota, as we've discussed. So um, going in, the big one was the one where, you know, where our transmitters are located for Northern Community Radio, Senate District 5, which is uh, Bemidji, Grand Rapids, uh, the the very far Western Iron Range, and then Cass County and some of the Lakes counties, you know, down in Lakes Country between Bemidji and Grand Rapids. And that was incumbent Senator Justin Eichhorn, the Republican, who kind of nipped out that close win and 2016, kind of unexpected, very unexpected, actually. And so Rita Albright, mayor of Bemidji, challenges him. And that was supposed to be one of the big marquee races. To tell you the truth, I I still think I I would have called it a toss up at the start of the process, just based on the voter, how well Trump, I think, is doing in that district. He's, He's above water, which means I can't imagine a lot of Trump voters going down and voting for some Democrats down below on the ballot. I just I just don't see a lot of that going on. So if we see Rita Albright do well enough, if she if she wins, for instance, that that's a sign of a clear abandonment of Trump by probably some of the voters Chuck and I were just talking about. Not all of them, but if enough of them say, you know, I'd, I'd like to do something different. And there is one, I mean, I always thought that race would become more localized because Senator Eichhorn is from the Grand Rapids side of the district and Mayor Albright is from the Bemidji side of the district. And I know over on the Bemidji side, like, ah, uh, he never comes around here and he's he, he doesn't really pay attention to this side of the district. Maybe you'd see some local issues take take in there. I don't see a lot of that actually taking root. I think mostly it's been just indexed as a standard political race. So if Albright comes out ahead, that is a clear sign there is a wave or a wave that happened. But I think another one uh, to watch is in the state house. I've been doing all of these interviews for is the range is turning red and is it going to make Minnesota go red? And all these repetitive over and over and over again stories. You've seen them. Uh, the Star Tribune has done three of them in the last two weeks that are all pretty much the same story. They just have different people write the same story. So if we want to study that phenomenon, I think you want to look at a District 6A, which is Julie Sandstead, the incumbent data feller in, in Hibbing. Uh, running against Rob Farnsworth, the Republican. It's a straight one-on-one race. It had been overwhelmingly DFL, you know, used to be two-thirds Democratic. Trump carried it in 2016. Sandsteed won. Uh, Sandsteed won re-election last time, but it was a little closer. She's always been in the high 50s in these recent races, but Farnsworth is probably one of the best candidates Republicans have on the Iron Range. He's a special ed teacher, kind of well-known. He's well-spoken, nice nice guy. I've met him. He's a nice guy. I mean, so he's he's got the roots in the community. 
And plus, Sansi's been hit hard by the Republicans. They're actually targeting her much more. There's a huge amount of outside spending for a range race. And so if there is something to Republicans are going to take over the Iron Range, it would probably start there. And so you can take a look at that one. I think I'm I'm watching that one closely. Uh, It's also interesting because uh, Julie Sandstead um, is one of the few pro-life Democrats in the House. It's, it seems odd to me that she would be the one to take that fire because she's very moderate in, in, in terms of a lot of issues. And and on that issue, you'd think she'd be picking up some extra support, but we'll see. Yeah. What what about you, Chuck? What what are you honing in on? The thing that I've been most fascinated with, and I've, I've really looked at the races around here, because we have the Senate majority leader, Paul Gazelka, is not in my district, but in the district directly adjacent and by adjacent, I mean like a mile away. So, you know, very, very close. Josh Heitzman is actually my representative. These are both Republicans. He's in the he's in the House. Carrie Rood is my senator. Um, Carrie of, of, of the three has been the only one who has not, in, in a sense, and she has in a light way, but but basically made this a an election of national issues. I, I was just looking at Josh's uh, election campaign page on Facebook as as Aaron was talking. And it's, this is what I've seen from all these candidates. Uh, The first thing is a story about Trump. The second one is about Hunter Biden. The third one is about the Supreme Court, Amy Coney Barrett. What what has happened is these candidates have seemed to fall in line behind the national narrative, In, in which case they are, in a sense, banking on the coattails in their district of a Donald Trump presidency and a Donald Trump candidacy and a Donald Trump election. I I find this on two ways just bizarre. First of all, the idea that you wouldn't want to run primarily on your own merits, on your own ideas, on your own insights, on who you are. Uh, I have not seen, I mean, in all these local races, I've seen very little of that. The thing to be made and the way to get your clicks and the way to get your likes is to tie into some larger campaign that, you know, can gin that up for you. I think the other thing that is is disturbing about this is that it does rob us of a dialogue here at the local level of what this district is, what we actually want, how, how my district in Brainerd and in the surrounding area is actually different than the district that Paul Gazelka's in, uh, which has, you know, Niswa and Baxter and, and a bunch of other areas that are very different than Brainerd. I think that this is bad strategy for a campaign. I think this is bad for governance, once people are elected and in office, if, if you ran on getting people elected to the Supreme Court campaign platform, and you wind up in the Minnesota House, what, what mandate do you have to govern? Like, what are you actually? What are your governing principles to do? And so, I, I feel like the races that I've watched are not very interesting in terms of local issues, but fascinating in terms of like the snapshot in time about how our cultural discourse has just completely eroded. I've put a lot of time and effort into our school board races. We have a a number of incumbents who are very respectable people in the community who have done a lot of like decent things uh, in the community, are are good people, people who I, I, I like personally but who I really dislike the policies that they have enacted and the things that they've done. And I spent a lot of time trying to get to know these candidates that are running against them in a personal way to see, could, could I support any of them? 
are any of them worthy of my vote? Are, are any of them thoughtful people who, who could uh, do this? I, I watched all the, the candidate forums. Uh, I read all their websites. I sent them emails. I, I talked to them. And I actually did. I, I voted for no incumbents and I voted for two who would be new school board members. Um, I feel like school board is like the last vestige and city council maybe to a smaller degree is like the last vestige of actually like local politics where the local conversation and what is actually a local issue matters. And even there, it's just barely because you can hardly have those conversations without team mask or anti-mask coming to the fore again. You know, one of the, the races that have been surprising to me the most and what people have listened to the most, by far the biggest hits on our website have been for the judge races in congr- in the Judicial District 9 as well as the Supreme Court races because we've I've interviewed both of those. And we've never had this many hits on any stories. Uh, we're getting a lot of feedback from people because it's hard to find information on a judge race or what does it even mean that they're nonpartisan and people are very confused. So it's it's heartened me to, that people are looking for that information, whatever way they're going to vote. Let me dampen oh. your idealism a tiny yeah. bit. Yeah. Because um, I, I do think it's good. It's, it is good. But what you're seeing is that judges, you do not have a party proxy that can help you decide that for you. And, and you know, so I can look at, it, one of the, the difficult things about school board is that there's no party affiliation. So I actually have to look at candidates and think for myself and discern. The same with judges in, in all these other races. And this is why I, I think, you know, the Stauber, you know, Nystrom race is actually interesting from our district perspective, from our listening area perspective, mm-hmm. because there seems to be less looking at the candidates and more just looking at the party and, and then drawing all the inferences you need from what that designation is. Well, I think we are almost out of time, but I want to give you each also the, if you want to give advice to people, whether it's about paying attention to polls or how you kind of approach that election night and go into this kind of stuff, uh, let's give some thoughts to people listening right now. Well, this is the first year where I've thought about not live blogging on my blog because I don't know what the hell, the hell I'd say. Uh, you know, other than, oh, here's some numbers because I, I usually have people who would feed me numbers off the ticker tape that comes out of the ballot boxes in certain key precincts. Those numbers are going to be skewed because the absentees won't be in there. So I, it doesn't really tell me anything. So I don't want that, which means I'm just basically waiting for the Secretary of State to update their website. Minnesota Secretary of State, as far as... Um, a national media, I, I would, I kind of wonder if it would be better to um, not watch as much of the cable news, whether your affliction is MSNBC or Fox News or CNN or whatever your partisan lean is and why you watch what you watch. Uh, I don't think there will be anything good happening there. Uh. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sad about not being able to go vote in person. I feel yeah. like that's an important part of being in a in a representative democracy and it's it's an important civic duty that I've liked and I've I've really valued. I will say, I did cast my ballot about three weeks ago, and I I held off and I held off and I held off and I finally did it. And when I did it, I actually did it as a way to say, I don't have to pay attention to this stuff anymore. Like I like I can actually shut this off because I've done my duty and I'm done. I was informed. I took the time to fill it out well. I sent it in and now I am done. And I'm actually for the first year ever that I can remember planning to on election day, 
come home, have a nice dinner, start a fire, read a book and go to bed. And I'm going to let the craziness kind of go by the wayside uh, and not take part in that carnival just because I don't want to endorse it any more than just my existence as an American already does. Wow. I think that's the advice right there. I know. I I like Chuck's approach. I'm thinking of watching a movie or something different that night. I don't know if I'll actually have the fortitude to actually right. pull that off. I might, I might be very distracted, but it's a good time to, you know, let the madness pass, uh, rely on real numbers, less speculation, uh, hold your horses. I think the networks are going to try to keep from calling things too early. They'll speculate up the wazoo, but they won't be turning the map red or blue until they really know. And that's for the best. Well, I said that was my last question, but I'm curious. So, Aaron, you're raising three boys. Chuck, you're raising two girls. Are they talking about this yeah. election to you guys? What are you hearing from them? Yeah. My my boys, because dad has always been on the phone talking politics with people and, and writing and being on the news for very boring topics like politics, they, they aren't really tight with, with politics. Um, you know, I've, we've tried to raise, we don't implement political ideology in our raising of the boys. We really try to just stick to values. So the boys watch and they see what people do and they apply, you know, their values to what they see. That's what they talk about is when they see something on TV or an ad that is just seems out of, out of hand, you know, or something that seems unfair. They, they notice things like that. And then they'd much rather change the channel uh, or play video games. Uh, so that, that's how my boys handle it. I have found fascinating how TikTok and the the different more, more younger focused social media apps have influenced their thinking and their perception of not necessarily candidates as much as issues. I mean, certainly candidates at the presidential level, but issues as they go down ballot. And it, it's really a lot like Aaron. I don't have a household that is orthodox in terms of party, uh, but I have one that is pretty committed to to thinking through things. And so we, we've kind of taken it as an opportunity to when they have a very strong opinion, which sometimes teenage girls have very strong opinions, to say, well, let's, let's follow that thread. And, and what about when this happens? And what about this situation? And I, I feel like, you know, it's my job as a parent to help them be, if not fully informed voters at age 13 and 16, at least future thoughtful voters who can discern when they're being played and, 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 and when some candidate is really speaking genuinely to an issue they care about. You've been listening to Dig Deep. It's our election special. That was Chuck Marone. You can find out more about his work at strongtowns.org. And he's our conservative commentator. Our liberal is Aaron Brown. Find more about him at minnesotabrown.com. And let people know about Dig Deep. Sign up for the podcast. Everything available at kaxe.org. Dig Deep is made possible in part by the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund and the citizens of Minnesota. <laughs>